I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cupper. And this is Constellation, making the graphic novel. Join us as we build an original science fiction world. Okay, we're back. It's been a long time. Ted, how are you doing? I'm okay. How are you doing, John? Not bad. Uh, I feel rusty. Maybe you do, because uh, we haven't recorded for a while. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's not that we haven't been working on this project. We've been working a lot on this project, actually. Um, we have a lot to share with you, the listener. Uh, but there were some things that we just felt we needed to do offline, Uh <laughs> at the risk of uh, boring all of you if we slogged through it all over the uh, the airwaves. Yeah, so, yeah. But I know that the listeners, uh, some of you are like interested in doing this kind of thing yourselves. So just in the interest of transparency, what we've been up to, a lot of it was that we had just to go over the stuff that we'd already done that you already heard us uh, brainstorm about and just um, organize it basically, which was a kind of a monumental task. And then it turned out that there were many holes that needed to be plugged and um, a lot of uh, just baseline decisions that need to be made, like naming characters, naming worlds, uh, coming up with uh, some specific, um, you know, markers for things that we had been talking about abstractly for months. And that's just like a tedious process uh, because you want the names and things to um, feel of a piece and, and work together. Uh, but you know, at, at the end of the day, coming up with the names is not like coming up with the plot. So we now have names, working names, they may change, but we have, we're not going to be saying uh, absurd things like party world anymore. We now have actual names for right. all of the things that right. will stand in that we're going to start using. Right. Uh, so they're provisional. We after, may change them later, but yeah. at least we are going to have something that we can consistently use. Yeah. And after we did that, we just moved on to just uh, really working on the outline and uh, crystallizing it a lot more. Uh, so that's what we're going to be sharing with you today is essentially, you know, the names will come out in the telling of the story, but we're going to go through uh, as much uh, in this episode as we can of our current outline, which is pretty detailed. So actually, if you feel like right now, maybe you as a listener don't remember <laughs> Some of the things that happened in our story, because right. it's been we a would, while since we We would not uh, blame you. Yeah, it's been a yeah. while. <laughs> but this should be actually a great entry point back in, because we're just going to start at the beginning, and we're going to go through everything um, much more efficiently, because we know what happens now, uh, mostly. Uh, and so this should be a great way for you to, to remind yourself of everything we've been talking about, and also hear what we've been up to what we've right this will be a review it'll also um be a reveal of all the things we did work on and uh it's going to also be the sort of blueprint for us going forward as we move into actually writing the script for this comic book which is going to be um hopefully the next big section of this podcast sort of after we get we get through this I mean, we don't know exactly how many episodes it will take to get through the outline but without any further uh set up i think we should just get into it and see how far we can go what do you think yeah let's let's do it i'm just going to jump into the first beat on our outline great let's do it uh which you know what you're going to see at the beginning of the comic book uh is going to be very abstract visuals you're not going to know exactly what you're looking like looking at it first right um you're just going to see a lot of weird otherworldly things you might see what look like two figures possibly in an argument over time and as you're looking at these 
uh, strange visuals, you're going to be hearing some disembodied narration, which is from our main character, Tim. I believe we had that name already. Right. Uh, Tim Ito is still the main character, uh, as we settled on before. And he's going to be, you know, setting things up uh, and explaining, uh, you know, that they're building a world, right? And, you know, he's building a world with Arturo, which is the name we have for his partner, yeah. who, who we've previously referred to as his, his partner in terms of world building. And Tim is sort of like laying out his philosophy and their goals. And actually is, <laughs> I'm already maybe wrong about this. It's not, I don't think, I think we changed it to maybe it's not narration anymore. Are we literally hearing their argument here? I think maybe that makes more sense. Right. Yeah. I think that that is correct. I think we are, they are having a conversation. It's maybe coming up in narration in the sense that it may not be in um, dialogue bubbles because they might be embodied in some strange way. Um, but yes, uh, that's right. Tim and Arturo uh, are having an argument about this world that they are creating. And we're sort of slowly through the scene, we're going to figure out that that's what they're talking about. Um, and they have all like kind of opposed goals in this scene, right? Which we settled on. That's right. Yeah. So Tim is of the mind that, you know, he just wants to get into the club, right? So he's trying to finish the world as fast as possible to submit it for the deadline. That's his goal in this argument. Right. Whereas, you know, Arturo feels like, you know, it's not ready. It's got serious problems. There's no way it's going to be ready in two days or whenever the deadline is. And so he wants to take more time on it. So that's that's the content of the argument. Right. But again, you're seeing this sort of disembodied, you know, text of the people talking, and it's not exactly matching the visuals until it sort of snaps together, you know, maybe a page or a couple pages in, and you see the the forms of, of Tim and Arturo, which again, it could be any form, right? Because we want to stress right from the beginning that this is a world where you can be anything and do anything. So they, you know, they might be in, um, they might literally just be sort of disembodied ghosts, actually, since all they're doing is is painting the world, right? Um, right. They're kind so, of in like admin mode in this world anyway. So they might be flying around like invisible gods, just like, you know, creating trees or whatever. Um, but we haven't, you've, you'll maybe notice from the way we're describing this, we haven't decided exactly what the abstract uh, visual theme is going to be. I think that that's something we're probably going to be working on until the very last minute because it is the very beginning of the book and it's really fraught. And I think there could be a lot of, you know, um, possible solutions that we'll have to probably like work through right. in the writing. So we kind of be grounded in the world that they're, what you're seeing is really pieces of the world they're building. Exactly. Together. And it is, it is the world that they are submitting to this contest. So we know that they want this world to win a prize. So we know that this world has to be in some way impressive to them and it's going to be an example of their artistic partnership, the work that they're doing together. So we're exactly what it is. We're not totally sure, but we like the idea that it is broadly abstract and that at first the beings that they are don't quite look like, you know, human beings. They look like some other kind of thing, whether it's a chair and a couch or whether it's a spaceship or whatever, you know, we don't know. We, we haven't decided yet. Um, but we think that but that's enough for this outline beat so that we know what the scene's going to do and we know what the writer needs to, um, needs to focus on. So now that we've established there's a partnership, two people creating a world in this weird sci-fi space, yeah. uh, and they have different opinions. And we'll even have um, hinted at some of the stakes of the, you know, contest getting you into the club and everything, although that'll be yeah. maybe still somewhat unclear at this point. 
Yeah, now we're ready to move into the, the next beat, which would be a little bit of a, a jump in time because now it's the day of the contest award winner being announced, which That's means right. that uh, Tim... So, you mean, somewhere in that opening sequence, even though it's vague, we'll have to have seen Tim's face, so that, you know, sort of emerging out of the fog or whatever at right. some point. So we'll know that this is Tim now. And he's, he's going into the lobby of Parsia. Parsia is what we have previously referred to as Event World, I believe. Right. Most often. Yeah, we were calling it Event World. So this is the place where uh, where parties are thrown um, in in the constellation. We're calling it Parsia. Yeah, it's like you know, it is essentially an event space. It's got all of the things that you would need to to throw an event, all of the right programming and things. Um, and so he's he's in the lobby, and this is going to give us a chance to dramatize some of our core concepts. Like the fact that when you go to a new world, you enter through the lobby. There you have to sign an entrance contract right. that determines what permissions you're going to have in that world. Also, what uh, permissions you might be granting to that world in terms of whether it can harm you. Mm -hmm. uh, and very important things like that. Um, obviously, this is a relatively low stakes, probably standard contract to go to this event world, which is something that people go to all the time. Right. Uh, but it gives us a chance to show some of how that works. Mm -hmm. And to show Tim interacting with, you know, some kind of uh, AI in the lobby. Right. So he can find out, you know, uh, there might be drunkenness permissions or something like that that uh, <laughs> that have to be turned on in Parsia. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, this scene doesn't really have a core conflict or anything yet, which is something that most good scenes should have. But we know that it, it does serve this sort of important exposition function and also lets us know that time has passed. Um, and Arturo will be with Tim. So their argument may literally be continuing <laughs> through to the lobby. Right, right, right. And, right. Or this might be more like the aftermath of the argument. Like Tim has basically won the argument and they have right. submitted the contest. And maybe Arturo is bitter and there's like some, you know, there's some like residual resentment or something that's sort of dripping through the scene. But maybe the actual conflict is sort of over. Uh, anyway, maybe we make this beat pretty quickly so that it shows that Parsi is the 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 main spot for where you have events and parties uh and then we jump right into the third beat which introduces our other main character and really brings i mean really brings in the the main conflict of the story for the first time which is you know um between tim and zoya around the club so this is the beat where tim ends up talking Zoya into making a deal, basically. Right. And, and you know, they make it past the lobby, so now they're in the actual party. And this party is... That's right. Is this scene takes the place reception, reception before right. the award ceremony. Yeah. So Zoya, who also has a uh, an award-nominated uh, world that she's created, is naturally at the reception, as are other nominees and their families and judges and so forth right we want to show that there's a little bit of a difference between tim and zoya right there's a couple key differences is yeah. that tim is first generation right he was born in our world and then woke up one day in the constellation right. but zoya was born in the constellation so she's what we call like a zero generation right is that right the or other way around right i think tim is zero generation i got that backwards of course i did yeah so, she's so sorry first so tim is zero and uh, and Zoya's first generation. So that's going to give them pretty different perspectives. If you can imagine someone who grew up not knowing anything about the constellation is going to have like different. So they might have wildly different attitudes on, say, art 
which is going to become important. Right, right. I mean, it, we might show it through their attitude toward the art of world building because that's what they're talking about here. You know, Tim's and Zoya's worlds might have like kind of opposite concepts. And that also has to do with the kind of main plot uh, from this section as well, right? Which is that Tim hears something at the reception that makes him think he's going to lose. Yeah, that's also important. Um, I mean, there actually, there's multiple things going on here. So he, yeah, he needs to hear something. Maybe it's from Zoya. Maybe it's from someone else that makes him think. It could oh, be I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. lose to Zoya, right? Yeah, right. Um, so that needs to happen. But something else that I realized that I think we may have, need to add back to the outline here mm-hmm. um, is we need to have a beat where they discuss uh, art to some degree and discuss what worlds they like. Because we're planting something important here that's, that's going right. to come back. That's right. Um, so imagine, you know, a couple students from film school, uh, you know, arguing about uh, a famous filmmaker or something, and they have radically different opinions. You know, one of them thinks that that filmmaker's a total hack, and one of them thinks, you know, that person's a genius, right? Except they'd right. be, of course, talking about world creators, because that's the, the dominant art form that they're interested in. Right. So, so there. One of them is gonna say, "Oh, so and so is amazing," and the other person is gonna just have some uh, horrible critique that just like is a sort of a biting, you know, pithy statement that you're gonna remember, right? Because that's gonna that's something that we're planting that's gonna come back later. Right. Um, and in addition to the difference that one is for zero generation, one is first generation, they also have a bit of a class difference, which I think we want to draw out in their conversation as well. That's right. Zoya is an elite class because her family uh, are the founders of Emerologia, which is another world that we've been talking about, uh, which is the Almanac world. And so because her parents are, uh, you know, the admins of one of the major popular utility worlds, they have tremendous clout and status, um, which one way we thought we could show that in this beat here is to have Zoya and her family have uh, VIP privileges in Parsia. So we've already seen in beat two, Tim checking in with the plebeian privileges, which involve whatever, you know. Um, But now that uh, we meet Zoya, we find out she can do something that he can't do. Like she can turn invisible or teleport in and out of rooms or do some other thing that was not allowed on his contract. Uh, and that could be part of the discussion that they have as well, or it could just be honestly something that we see. It's not clear to me how exactly we're going to show that, but I think the idea is that we want to try to show that here. Well, there's one key moment where we can show that, right, which is that because of what you mentioned earlier, which is that Tim is getting a little desperate because he hears the sort of gossip around the party is that Zoya's going to win, and he's right. not going to win. Uh, right. He offers her a deal. And his deal is is something we've talked about before in the podcast, but just to remind you, it's basically if, you know, we don't know which of us is going to win, right? So why don't right. we, you know, make an arrangement where, um, and we know, also know that the winner is, is going to get admittance into this club, which actually we should probably stop here too and say that the name of our club, which we've That's referred right. to we've named as the club. the club, is now Altoff. Altoff. Which means um, always. Right? Which means always in, I forget which language. <laughs> Some Nordic language or something. Um, but we just liked it. It's a, yeah, it's a random 
name sort of. And it has an origin story that I don't know if we'll get to today or not. So that's there's right. a reason it's, it's so, so random. But um, so the, the winner of the contest gets a free invite into this exclusive club, Altoff. So uh, again, Tim's pitch to her is basically, right. I want to get into this club. Presumably you want to get into this club. Only one of us can win. Um, only club members can invite other club members. So why don't we just agree now that whoever gets in will, you know, dedicate themselves to helping the other person get in. And that way we both have an insurance plan, right? Right, That's that's the pitch. That's the pitch. And I think that actually is, he's going to have to explain a lot of that to her in a way that will let the audience in on what's going on. So, you know, he's making the assumption that she also knows that this is a sort of hidden perk of winning this award and he's also making the assumption that she cares about it in the same way that he does. And, uh, you know, that may not actually be the case, but Zoya is a smart person. So when she's presented with this, um, with this uh, deal, she kind of tells him, like, I got to think about it. Uh, and this but, is when we um, get to dramatize her special permissions. Because- that's right. Then she can disappear or whatever it is that she's going to do uh, that she has the permission to do. And when she comes back, she has come around to the idea and, and kind of almost does like a sort of see you and raise you beat where she proposes, if we're going to do this, let's make it formal. And uh, they actually, you know, do a contract as people do in the world. And again, this is like a moment where we really want to show the, the mechanics of the world to the audience for the first time. So in this world, contracting is really easy, so you know we're going to show that happening. Right. Although, and this took us a while to figure out, they're currently on Parsia, which is the world where events are typically hosted. Right. Um, we toyed with a lot of versions of the story where they sign the contract here on Parsia. Right. But because of some, you know, the way we've uh, crafted the constellation, um, you know, contracts are only really good on the world where they're signed. <laughs> so. That always created story challenges for us because it's like, well, why, when is she going to come back to Parsia, you know, for this? Because we, we do want the contract to kick in. Um, so we realized that, you know, people in the constellation would have solved this problem, uh, as many problems can be solved, by having a dedicated world. Or not exactly a dedicated world, but using, I mean, the way to enforce a contract, right, that really would keep people honest is to sign it on a world that a lot of people have to go to all the time for really good reasons. Right, um, a world that you really don't want to lose access to. Yeah, and Parsia uh, might not be that world. So what the world right. is... Uh, no, the world is the money world, which right. we're calling Agoria. And so we've talked about money world a lot, and you know now that's called Agoria. comes from uh, the word for the marketplace. And we've always thought that this was a place that started as a kind of Craigslist of the constellation. Um, and then over time grew in importance until it became the sort of um the sort of currency world for the whole constellation uh we have a whole origin story for it and stuff like that that we'll get to later uh but the main thing here is that uh they are going to have to jump to that world to sign this contract so once she suggests a formal contract and tim agrees that this is a good idea because you know he has basically nothing to lose here uh, then we, that takes us to beat four, which is on the world of Agoria. Right, which also gets us to show, you know, how people can sort of casually teleport around from world to world in the constellation. 
because it's exactly you know, it's how an, costless transportation is. Yeah, yeah, it's like the middle of a party, and it's like the same way you'd you know go outside and have a cigarette. They're like, oh, let's just go to another world and make a deal. Yeah, it's almost like looking at your cell phone. You know, it's like yeah, exactly. And the thing about easy. it is, or like check a text or whatever. Yeah, right. uh, is that. Um, you know, the contract signed on Agoria is very serious because your money's at stake, right? I mean, if you, I mean, you could avoid triggering the contract by going to Agoria, I suppose. But if you did that, you would never have access to your money again. So by, and, by avoiding going to Agoria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, or you could have a clause built into the actual contract that said, if you don't fulfill, you know, what you're supposed to fulfill by some deadline that like literally your account gets debited or something. So uh, this would be something that people would do often. I think whenever they need to make a serious contract, you'd probably make it there, which is interesting to think about the fact that our that our world that is based on currency, you know, sort of de facto also becomes a natural place to sign contracts. Right. I think it's not that different from the phenomenon of, uh, you know, autonomous uh, contracts being built on blockchain technology. Right. So that's those are kind of uh, those are kinds of currencies, and they facilitate the building of you know contracts that uh, trigger themselves whenever some external criteria are met, right? Sure. Um, so that's like a whole growing field. I think there's like there's various companies that are being built right now that are based on that technology and stuff like that. Um, so this is like a kind of extrapolation of that way off into the technological future. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not. I mean, I wouldn't even call it super now anymore. It's like basically this has become a fundamental underpinning of society. And, you know, some people might sign contracts like on the giant world in which they both live because maybe they trust each other enough that like, well, we both live on this world. You know, it's going to be fine. But I would think, yeah, the majority of serious contracts would just be done on money world because then they can have some kind of monetary penalty built into them uh, that would automatically uh, happen, whether or not the person was present in the world because their account is there on the money world. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I think that the exact terms we talked about are that if either one returns to Agoria, i.e. I. spends any money of their own at all, then the other one immediately gets access to that person's browsing history um, so basically, if the two of them keep checking back in Agoria the way people normally do to spend money, um, then they will be basically sharing uh, browser history with one another, which would reveal uh, the location of Altaf's um, world to the one who doesn't know. Yeah, I mean, and there's some exposition there, I think, like that will come out in the in the contract discussion, which is important, which is basically that number one, every world you visit goes into a browsing history that you can grant permission for others to view or not. Right. Uh, that's obviously like a fundamental part of the way the constellation has been built. Uh, but you might not know that until they say that. And mm. then the other uh, interesting thing is that the club world Altaf is not known publicly. It's not publicly listed, right? right? And so, you know, because the club itself doesn't acknowledge its existence. Part of its thing is it's a secret club. Yeah, and the contract can't really guarantee in any sort of automatic way that someone will actually help the other person get into the club, right? So the, the, in a way, this is more like an indirect way of handling that, right? Uh, you may not want right. to help. They to get settle it. on this because they can't like agree on... Yeah, because they can only contract something that can be externally verified. That's part of the 
the way that the system works, right? Right. So, yeah, you helped me. That doesn't like, that's a subjective thing. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. But um, but they can both agree that, well, if we're sharing our uh, history, then we'll both have this address and, you know, that's a start. <laughs> Um, and it, you know, it can be used as leverage, which we'll, we will see, uh, in future scenes coming up, uh, which is, doesn't have to be spelled out in this scene, but I think will become clear later. Um, and so again, that's just a detour mid party. So, you know, they, they teleport back. We get to beat five now. So that's a short beat. Yeah. And then we're back, uh, back at the party for beat five. Um, Uh, and this is the, the awards actually happening, right? Right. Right, so now the ceremony is actually starting and we can do a little bit of world building here and suspense where we show the other nominees. We list all the final worlds. This will be a fun scene for the writer where like, uh, you know, you get to come up with not just the final details of Tim and Zoya's worlds, which we have to do some serious work on, but like there's got to be three other entries too. So we can really give a sort of, Almost like an overview of the genres of worlds that are popular at this time. Yeah, you sampling know, the, of what people in this bizarre simulated Imagine the uh, the Academy Awards, the five, <laughs> you know, when they used to do five, and I guess they do 10 now, but like, you know, when they used to do five Best Picture nominees. Like, yeah, we're not doing we, 10. But there'd be a biopic and there'd be a, a tragic story and then there'd be, a, you know, a crime movie and there'd be an animated movie and there'd be a, a musical, you know. So we can kind of do something like that where you can have five disparate genres that sort of together show you know this late stage of the constellation where it's already had 75 years to to ponder you know this art form and and move through several movements yeah i think between those uh contest nominees and the discussion earlier between zoe and tim you should start to have a pretty clear picture of sort of the art scene and uh, we yeah. show all the nominees, and as typically happens, you know they open an envelope or something maybe crazier, uh, mm-hmm. and they announce the winner is, and then that's when we're going to end on that cliffhanger and cut to a different scene and a different place entirely. Up until this time, this has all been sequential. We did jump a little bit in time from the first scene to the second scene, but uh, it's still pretty much unified within you know a period of a few weeks no changes in perspective or anything crazy like that. We've stayed close to Tim. We have introduced Zoya, but we haven't gone into her mind or anything like that. Uh, but now for the first time, uh, we're going to do something different. And this is a, a an idea we talked about on the podcast and we've kind of, you know, put some thought into, which is we're going to have these scattered interstitial stories that are from around the constellation. They're not the main story. And they might be presented in different ways. They might have like a sort of different artistic theme or even a different artist drawing them. Um, We thought about a lot of different ways to make them different. Um, And I think the inspiration for these more than anything is like the the pirate and other um, supplemental sequences in Watchmen. If you've ever read Alan Moore's Watchmen, that makes really good use of these sort of in-world media parodies that that bring out all different aspects of the story. Um, so do we want to talk about what the content of these are or do well, we want to just jump through? I don't think we want to get into specifics because there's so much main story to talk about. Sure. But, uh, you know, we've brainstormed about nine different things and probably the final might have only six, say, or maybe seven. I think we'll we have see. six or seven spots yeah. depending on where we 
place them exactly. And they're going to be self-contained uh, mini stories, not exactly sure of the page count yet, that's going to focus on some aspect of the constellation. Again, we have built, you know, as, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that we've built a whole universe with, you know, a bunch of weird religions and different yeah. kinds of worlds and, and histories and things. So, and we're, you know, yeah. we're it's going to be fun to basically explore that and use these as an opportunity to make the reader feel like they're in a big, uh, fully developed world, right? And not just following a single linear story. That's right. And it's also a little bit of a, a trick for us to introduce some ideas that we want to call upon in our main story, but we don't want to spend the time exposing in the main story. So it, it'll be a way to kind of yeah expand the world and also hopefully help the storytelling at the same time. Um, these kind of things can be a little bit tricky and I suspect we will be working on the interstitials like beyond the, the rest of the script because, uh, they, they can, uh, you know, you want them to fit in, in a way that feels thematically relevant, but not too matched up. And it's, it's, it's a little bit of a, a, a needle to thread, but, uh, I think they're going to be really fun. And for the rest of the outline, we're just going to call out when they're potentially going to come up uh, rather than trying to give you all of the content that could be in them. But we will talk at a later time uh, about the ideas we have for those. And, and yeah, I'll give, we'll, we'll be developing them. What I will do is I, I will actually go ahead and give like one. Ex- so you have some idea, right? I'll give one sure. example of like one good, of our good. ideas is to tell the story of the founding of Agoria, right? That money world we were talking about which is so important uh, in infrastructure to the constellation and how people live their lives. So right. uh, that that's like the kind of thing we would tell, like it might be a bit of history or something. So, right. um, uh, but other and than it that, it might be framed in some way, like as if yeah. it's a school child's lesson or something, or it might just be, you know, boom, you're on the Savannah with somebody and you, you know, you go through their first day or whatever, whatever the thing is going to be. The Savannah so, yeah. being the place that you start in when you first get uh, uploaded into the, constellation right right yeah we call it we we had decided it was like a sort of you know idyllic humanoid environment yeah and since you brought that up i mean that's another one of the ideas right is to show actually go back in time and show somebody who is living a normal life and suddenly appeared inside of the constellation as happened to everybody right during the great transition so um you know these are the kinds of things we're going to cover but we'll just say insert story here uh, and then we will jump back to our main timeline. Right, exactly. So it'll be a little bit of world building, a little bit of history like that, and then we'll jump back in, and we're on to beat number seven, which takes place on Agoria and is uh, a kind of simple beat where Tim gets there, and he's basically, it's been a while. I mean, I think that's the main thing that we're going to show with this beat, which is that since the cliffhanger um, at the party it's not just like the next five minutes or even the next day. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. He is uh, going to Agoria to check if Zoya has been there to see if her history uh, includes the club world, which will tell you the result of the cliffhanger, right? Obviously he wouldn't be doing that if he was the one who won. So we will find out from this fairly short scene that Tim did not win and that he is, now trying to um, benefit from this deal that he made. Uh, but so far, she has not returned to Agoria. She has not spent any money, I guess. And he's he's upset. He's starting to worry that uh, that his plan won't work. So then the next beat, eight, 
uh, we're going to get to learn about Tim's family. That's and right. we're, we're going to go to a place called Magnurbia, which is one of, you know, we discussed how, you know, we're 70 years into the constellation being a thing, That's right. right? So it's not as much the Wild West anymore. People have started to uh, come together and group in, you know, larger and larger worlds. And two of the biggest worlds are almost like giant cities, right? They're, they're big urban worlds. And one of those two worlds is Magnurbia. Right. Um, so it's a, it's a, and the reason people congregate there is obviously they want to be around other people. And also a lot of people maybe don't want to be involved in building their own world from scratch, even though you can do that. Why would you necessarily want to do that if that's not your thing? And Magnurbia has all of these, you know, benefits that you can have from, you know, putting everybody in one place and a bunch of talent in one place. So if you want to, you know, eat the best sushi in the entire constellation, you know, they have the chef there on Magnurbia who knows exact, you know, who's designed with the help of the uh, AI assistant that we call the exec, you know, the perfect, you know, non-existent fish that couldn't exist in real reality uh, and, and prepared it just the perfect way to make the most flavorful sushi that you could ever possibly imagine. And you can order that like right to your home in Magnurbia, whereas, you know, if you go off and build your own world and live there, you know, great, you have all the permissions, but you don't have... Uh, uh, some of those side benefits. That's right. Yeah. So there's like huge network effects and we had talked about there being kind of Coke and Pepsi worlds. And we're thinking this is like one of the, one of those, like one of the big worlds that really has like a rich culture, kind of the, the New York city or Tokyo or London of, of, of constellation worlds. Um, and the Ito home is in a subsection of that world. And this is a, a home that has been maintained by uh, members of the Ito family for some time. So we talked about there being like a kind of, you know, f- frequent family get together. Right. It's hosted by Tim's aunt and uncle who live there. Uh, they're happy and they are fairly well adjusted. Like most of the other family members. Uh, and they, uh, the other family members all live elsewhere, different places but they're all called in to be there. And, um, and I think Tim's uh, aunt and uncle are going to be a good example of, because, you know, on, on paper, this constellation thing is pretty awesome, right? I mean, right. Uh, if you or I, you know, suddenly, like, we woke up in this simulation called the constellation and we didn't have to feel pain unless we turned it on and we didn't have to die unless we turned it on and we could summon things with our minds, I think that'd be pretty amazing. Right. Uh, our main character, Tim, is, you know, constantly striving and frustrated and anxious and so on. Uh, but I think with his aunt and uncle, we get to show uh, uh, some people that are actually just well-adjusted and, and enjoying life in this, you know, wonderland <laughs> that they all live in. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is a place where, like our last book, uh, Let Go, we, we're doing a story about basically a utopia, but because we want it to be interesting, we're we're focusing on some of the least satisfied people in the entire uh, world. So uh, it, it's it's necessary for us to show that the side characters are not as dissatisfied as our main character. Um, because if you can embrace uh, what is available, this is a world that has the potential to be really without worry. Um, and the other members of his family, at least some of them, you know, get a lot of meaning and value out of these family events and they really like uh, doing them. 
and they have their own lives and hobbies outside of them as well. Um, but for Tim, you know, he's a little bit more insecure. He's a little bit more sort of concerned with his own worth uh, and uh, concerned with his status. And as a result, he's he's kind of gotten hooked on this idea of, of joining this exclusive club. But we kind of think no one in his family really gets what his problem is, right? Like, we, we want to show him being sort of misunderstood by them, partially because that'll hopefully make you like him um, and make you, uh, you know, empathize with his goal more. But also because of the realism is that most people would not be obsessed with these, uh, with these status games and stuff. Like, um, it's possible that that could happen to you in this world, of course, but that's not what we're, we're not trying to argue that that's what happens to everyone. Yeah. Not everybody is going to be like Tim, right. And totally right. obsessed with getting into this one club all tough. Uh, and, and also, you know, Tim, what Tim is doing, you know, it's kind of an artistic pursuit. Um, you know, it's just, yeah, for a variety of reasons, it's not, people aren't really going to get it. Um, like what he's right, doing. Right, right, right. Yeah. On the surface, it just seems like he's the like wacky artist in this like, you know, family that doesn't, isn't a family of wacky artists. Um, but maybe underneath that, there's a little bit of like, they're, deeply satisfied on a fundamental level and he is not and they don't really understand why you know why he doesn't just change things until he is um, um and there will be some other you know eclectic family members there um i think none of this is totally set in stone but we've talked about yeah you know, we have someone, a lot of ideas for the scene but we're not totally sure which ones go in yeah know? we've talked about you know someone religious being there possibly a defaultist i think one thing that i think is worth sharing though mm -hmm. is that we decided that tim has a kid <laughs> Which oh yeah right makes sense because he would have been in his twenties when he was scanned into the constellation and that was seventy years ago, and we spent we're right. not going to share it all with you now but we did a little work on Tim's backstory like what has he been doing for seventy years right because that makes him you know he's like almost a hundred in like normal like right. person time right um, which means he's lived a lot of you know phases in his life and we want him to be like one of those people that is like actually like very much has life phases i mean some people kind of stay the same you know and some people have like very intense you know a decade where they're you know focused on one thing and then they sort of change to something else right and we think tim is right. more that second kind of person that really like you know tried Cycles a lot of different things, things. Yeah. and and, right. and his thing right now is like getting into alta right right uh maybe that wouldn't be his thing tomorrow right but uh right now that's like the only thing he's obsessed with um and at some point in his past he went through a phase where he lived on one world for a long time and, and uh, you know, had a life what would have been like a long-term partner and decided to have a kid. And that was a whole phase that he went through. Um, I won't go too much more detail than that, but um, mm -hmm. he has this kid. And I think one of the things we want to draw out in the scene is that his kid is a little more adjusted, well-adjusted Right, than and this Tim. is an adult child at this point. It's not like a, a we're calling it a kid, but yeah, it's I'm not saying like kid, a, but it's not a young been, child. Well, because it would have been early in the 70 years, right? I think it's about 20 years in or so that he had the kid. So the kid would be 50, it's like, right? It's not a right. kid, really. It's, uh, it's just literally his child, right? It's his offspring. Right, so yeah, he just had a child and, you know, did the raising part of the child a long time ago. Right. And then since then... You know, he and his child have a relationship, but they're not super close. So, yeah, we want to show them interacting, have it be, you know, significantly different from how people interact with their parents now. 
when your parents look older than you and you know that they will die eventually and you know there's <laughs> there's all these things me- meeting your relationship um uh but also like you said uh, it, i think it's funny if the kid is a little bit better adjusted than tim himself is and gets and along a with bit Tim's healthier. parents better or like Tim's yeah. relatives better. Yeah. Yeah. It gets along with the relatives better. Finds just like everything less of a being less of a burden, <laughs> I think, than Tim does. Um, is not so concerned with his status and with his, you know, his momentary pursuits. Um, yeah. So that'll be a fun character to introduce. Um it's not a big character. It's probably a character that only is in this one scene. But currently, yeah. Uh, uh, but it helps you understand Tim, I think, to some degree. Yeah, it'll be someone that, in talking to him, we get to know his character better. And um, again, I think we can have some sympathy for him because he has, you know, he might look like a young man, but he's like actually an empty nester in a way. <laughs> and uh, you know, also, I mean, maybe this sort of leads into the next scene. But you know, again we've already painted the picture that Tim is a bit of an outsider in his own family. Right. So that right. he's going to be in a bad mood that might lead to some conflict. Right. Um, we talk about him maybe losing his temper and embarrassing himself. Um, it might be more subtle than that. I think there's some details to work out, but the next beat number nine, which might sort of be coming on the heels of him being in a bad mood from hanging out with his family and them not understanding him, um, involves him breaking up with Arturo, right? Breaking up with his longtime partner for creating Art World together. Right. Um, which is, you know, maybe sort of been, this has been building for a while, right? Ever since they lost the contest, perhaps. Um, right, right. So, yeah. So this one, uh, at the end of the scene on, on Magnervia, you know, whether he's like storming out or whether he's humiliated or how the scene ends, we're going to then go to Mechania, which is the name of the world, uh, the what we've been calling the Maker World, which is like kind of a university slash workshop space world where people who make worlds hang out and create social connections and um, you know, yeah, you find ideas. people to work. You work on each other's worlds. You give each other feedback. There's a uh, lot of resources there. Yeah, like a library exactly. of libraries that, yeah. and things like that, right? Uh, simulate, you know, simulations of other worlds that you can do together, and you know, uh, that sort of thing. So uh, he goes back to Mechania, and that's where he's been living, you know, kind of like with Arturo. I have a feeling they were like roommates or you know, next door neighbors or something, um, while they were working together. And uh, he he goes back to the to the space and, and Arturo appears because, um, you know, he was kind of expecting him and pretty much they break up. Like you said, you know, uh, all the things that they've been fighting about for the whole script so far come to a head. Tim tells Arturo he's quitting. He tells me he doesn't need him anymore. Um, you know, Arturo basically says some stuff to Tim that is incisive and accurate about his flaws. And maybe we can do a little bit of work for the audience here and have him really, understand him and get what his problem is. Um, but the, the way he says it to him, it's not, you know, uh, something he can hear. So, uh, it, it breaks up the band and basically they, you know, they leave this situation no longer friends. And, you know, what's Tim going to do now that his partnership is broken up and he's in a bad mood? Well, he's going to do what he's always compulsively doing, which is 
going teleporting to Agoria to see if finally maybe Zoya has been there and right triggering the contract so that he can get her browser history. And this time, you know, if you play the lottery enough times, uh, this time he gets what he's asking for. And as he pops in, he discovers that indeed she has had to use money or go to Agoria for some reason. And so he now has access to her entire browsing history as the contract agreed. Um, and so, you know, Tim's not going to waste any time. You know, once he's got that club address, this is what he's been waiting for. Um, his partnership is ruined. His family doesn't understand him. This is all he has. He lost the contest, right? This is all he has in this world is this like address, right? This is all he's clinging yeah, to. Yeah, well, right and now. his plan worked. I mean, so he's feeling, you know, yeah, like it's the first good one thing. thing. Yeah. This is the one good thing. I mean, thank God, at least I did this. And yeah, now he's got the address to the most exclusive uh, club in the world. So you know, this is where we're going to have the cliffhanger using that address. He's going to uh, jump into the lobby of the club world Alta of Altaf's world. And uh, he'll immediately see something uh, sort of terrifying and unwelcoming. That we yeah. You know, maybe he's, Im- <laughs> he's immediately teetering on the edge of a, a cliff over a, a bottomless precipice. Pit. Yeah. You know, something because obviously, you know, Step one, if you're, you know, Altaf, is to keep your club world secret, right? Right. So that nobody knows how to get there. But once somebody inevitably figures out how to get there who's not supposed to know, you're not going to roll out the red carpet for them, right? You're going to make it a hostile environment. The whole point Well, and we've seen lobbies before. We know you can hold people there until they agree to whatever thing. So now what we're showing is something that's like a lobby that's essentially designed to eject you right back out. Um, right to punish you until you're like, yeah, I'm gonna leave. Yeah, and so that's the cliffhanger. We see that, and before we can really explain what it is, we jump into another interstitial. So that's another one of these stories. We're not sure exactly which one it's gonna be, uh, but at the end of that, uh, then we you know, I did, I did think of a minor detail here. Right, come back. Oh yeah, what? Which is that when you go into a lobby, you are signing a contract. Right, it's just that. Usually, it's a much more restrictive contract um, that only gives you access to that lobby, and then the lobby is sort of where you negotiate like a a proper contract. So, right, I think even to enter the lobby, you have to agree to the like just base level, the basic contract, terms, right? Which, which is which, just like we can kick you out at any time. You have no rights. You can read. You can read contracts and sign a new one. Yeah, like which if this yeah. lobby is going to torment him, yeah. It's going to have some slightly more onerous terms than, say, the Parcia lobby, right? So I'm just sort of pointing that, flagging that here, right? Like, there might be something where it's like, you know, the his AI assistant, the exec, like, warns him, uh, you know, something about if he goes into this lobby of this uh, private world, he now has the address to and of course i mean tim's just gonna say sure or whatever <laughs> except right. it anyways right. right sure um you know as long as it's not like so bad that it's gonna kill him instantly which it won't right um but it's gonna be it's gonna be i think a little worse than a normal contract potentially but sorry that was an interruption obviously you were just saying this is another yeah that's place interesting um we yeah cut. we could definitely uh we could definitely th- have that be a thing that happens there um, or it could just be like physically designed to just like, you know, 
put your body in peril until you eject yourself, basically. Um, but uh, yeah, I like I like that. Anyway, we're gonna come out and we're gonna be in the lobby, and this is like a version of a scene that we've had in every you know in every version of this where he tries to kind of outsmart the system um, and due to the, his genuine knowledge of world building technique, he does a decently good job of actually outsmarting the system. And despite uh, the Altoff lobby being designed to more or less deter um, people who have accidentally gotten uh, wind of its uh, existence, he still manages to kind of like hang on and uh, remain in this spot. Yeah, Almost. it's like the lobby's like an immune system that's trying to reject him. But he's yeah. like he's he's being persistent. I mean, on the one hand, he's being persistent, like if it boots him out, he'll just log back in. Uh but also, yeah, it, it'd be nice if he does something clever here too. Uh um, Yeah, I think yeah, we talked about this in a while. Like the, there's something a little bit like the old Kung Fu television show about this where it's like, you know, he's sitting on the steps of the monastery, you know, refusing tea or whatever. Uh to show that he's worthy, you know, he's trying to like, he's trying to do like a sort of, um, worthiness signal for the people inside. Right. And he's going to be so, I mean, this sort of intruder is going to be so, uh, persistent and so sort of clever about, you know, continuing to evade, uh, the parts of the Altaf lobby that are trying to eject him that he's actually going to draw a crowd of observers. So somebody, you know, from inside the club is going to notice that something weird is going on in the lobby, uh, and a bunch of club members are going to sort of teleport in to watch. Right. Uh, it's going to be some come sort of an event, because something we haven't discussed recently is that, you know, the whole theme of the Altoff Club is it's all about enjoying novelty, novel experiences. So if... Uh, Tim is doing something that no one's ever done before, right? He's right. Like, if he's like getting further in this game than anyone has ever gotten. Yeah. I mean, maybe it is literally set up like a game where it's like, you know, there's just like these series. I mean, it's it's not leading anywhere. It's like a, you right. know, it's a shaggy dog journey, but it's like. It's like one of those games that you can't win. You can only like get a higher score before you lose, you know, like Tetris or whatever. Oh, sure. Yeah. There's lots of games like that. Like, but yeah. They just so get faster and faster. Until he's getting to the last level in so Tetris like or something. He's going to yeah. lose, but he's, yeah. but no one's ever gotten to that level before. So this is noteworthy. So it's drawing a crowd. Right. Um, and among that crowd is, is the new initiate Zoya. Um, right. Who is like, who we haven't seen since she got into the club, but you know, you and I have tracked what she's been up to since then. All right, this is the moment where she reemerges into the story, and she's of course nervous because he could say something about where he found out about this information and get her in trouble. That's right, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is the last person she she wants to see doing this, right? Because all he has to do, and this is like sort of key to their contract, something that you might start to understand around now, is that all he has to do is mention her name, and she's kind of in trouble because she's not supposed to be telling anyone the super secret location of the club that she just got into. Right. Uh, and so if, if Tim is like, I got the address for this world from Zoya, then that puts Zoya in a really awkward spot. So that's going to make her super uncomfortable. Um, 
Tim is not going to do that because, you know, the leverage is better kept than sort of squandered like that. Um, but I think they're both going to know that that's the dynamic. Uh, and at some point he's going to even make, I think, brief eye contact with her. Um, you know, as she's, as she's watching him, him, you know, get up to his antics in this lobby. Right. Um, and this is where we're going to pay off that thing we planted way back at the party scene. Right. Like we, we sort of like went over the fact that, you know, they're going to have some sort of sort of casual party discussion among, you know, two art world creators where they have a difference of opinion. And, you know, one of them um, says something like has some colorful criticism of some famous world creator that sort of is the kind of thing that might stick in your mind when you read it. Right. Because we're going to have a callback here where Tim is going to reference that moment. Right. It's the last time we really saw Tim and Zoya have a conversation. Right. So he's going to reference that moment. And so Zoya will know that he's referencing that moment. Right. And the so audience basically, will yeah, know. Tim sees Zoya. Zoya yeah. is worried. Like, is he going to, is the moron going to say my name? But instead of saying her name, Tim basically makes a reference to this thing that they talked about last time they were hanging out. And it's a code. And then he allows himself to get booted out of the world at that point. So let me, you know, let's make this a little more concrete, right? Like, let's say they were discussing a world creator, you know, that made like really punishing worlds, like where when you're in them, they're just sort of, they put you through sort of awful stuff, right? Right. Uh, But people like it, you know, there's something artistic about it. Well, yeah, they think it's sophisticated because it's like you have to deal with all this pain or whatever. Yeah. And and, and so one of them thinks it's super amazing and interesting. And the and the other person will say it's Zoya. Like Tim thinks it's amazing. So let's say and Zoya thinks, oh, it's just like it's just cruelty for sport, you know, or some sort of that's not a great line, but something that like sort of just really diminishes what that artist is doing. And so. Right. Uh, you know, maybe in this moment, Tim will make a reference to that phrase, cruelty for sport, you know, but in a different context, sort of as a secret code, which is basically a way to hint to Zoya, hey, meet up with me at, you know, that wor- fam- the most famous world by that creator, right? Their most cruel world, right? It's a, right. It's, a, it's like, you know, they're two spies, you know, who can't like directly give each other, each other instructions, but are sort of doing it in this indirect code. Right. And we're going to figure that out right away because the next beat is going to take place on that world. So he says something along the lines of, I'm, you know, I'm going the place where they're cruel for sport. And uh, that ends. And then he dumps out of the world. We end looking at Zoya. And then we jump to the world where th- things are cruel for sport. And that'll be fun because it'll be, you know, we'll all of a sudden be on a world where, you know, it's like... Uh, <laughs> Breaking the waves or something. Are we talking about how like they're casually being crucified as they're throwing talking. bottles at you, or yeah, they're they're crucifying them or something. You know, and uh, and we and, may change and, that specific. And but, they're next yeah. to like you know some suburban housewives are also getting crucified, and they're like, oh, it's worse than last time or something. I don't know. You know, we'll make it like really funny and strange, and then um, basically Tim and Zoya meet up in this world and now that they're not in it, being followed by the club, he feels it's okay to be like, all right, let's get out of here and you can, um, you know, you can uh, come with me to, uh, to my world. So then they jump to Tim's home world. And this is the first time I think we've seen a home world. So, uh, except maybe in the interstitials. So um, we will see that, for a world builder like Tim, their homeworld is like this, you know, it's like a custom uh, universe just for you. It's a, you know, it's like the the concept of your room 
or your house uh, where it, but but expanded out to an entire world. So he's got uh, like we're calling it like a museum of his life, like sort of a a structure that he's been building and adding to for the seventy five years that um, is a a collection of all the things that he's been into and all of the accomplishments that he did uh, prior to now. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like who he is currently because he's not currently living in this world. It almost feels like a, it almost feels like a, um, a shrine to who he used to be. Yeah. We talked about how he, he's been through all these phases and we've done some work on that backstory. You're going to see this in, in the background. So they'll almost be like walking through a, a palace uh, built around those ideas and while they're doing that, they're going to have a discussion in which Tim is basically using the information he now has to blackmail Zoya. I mean, he's not being a total dick about it, but he's trying to pitch to her that, like, he knows this thing. He knows he's not really supposed to know it. Which is the location of the club. Yeah, which is the location of the club uh, lobby. And he he is saying he, he doesn't, you know, he wants to keep quiet. He wants to... Uh, to uh you know not say anything and get her in trouble but he wants to get into the club more so she basically is gonna have to you know help him out with that and she's gonna say there's not really anything she can do um she might remind him that the club is invite only which he knows of course um and she'll say like i can and you know he'll be he'll probably be like well you're in the club now invite me and she'll say like you know i'm like barely and you know i'm like i'm not important at all right right? like there's she she maybe tells him there's levels within the club i have no power you know like i'm not i'm just first level basically and yeah i don't have any power i can't do that and he says well you're gonna have to figure something out because i'm giving you you know a limited amount of time whatever a month or something um to, to help me out. Yeah, or I'm telling everybody or I'm, that, that or I'm, you gave I'm me the I'm publishing yeah. this location and telling everybody it came from you. Um, so that's like sort of, you know, that's when the scene turns. Basically, like he's trying to get what he could, wants out of her. He's trying to get what he wants out of her. And when she's just finally like, man, there's nothing I can do to help you. That's when he's like, look, you're going to help me because I have this information and I am going to blackmail you. Um, and, we and I end, think that's yeah, a key, uh, like a key character moment because up until that moment, we've been kind of working to make him sympathetic, and I think at that moment we kind of stop trying to make him so sympathetic. Well, I think you know Tim is not the most sympathetic character. I think no, the key no, is that Tim so. is is skillful, and, and I mean even the blackmail can be skillful, right? I right. Mean, he is well, a bit he's of a, persistent, and there's something admirable about that. Too. He's a, he's a bit of a villain, but um, you know I don't think. You and I don't have any problem rooting for villains, and hopefully we can we can make Tim interesting enough that people can. Root no, for him. I think like up until this point, you're going to think of him more in a, as a traditional main character, and I think by this point, you start to think of him as like an antihero, and I think that's good because of where we're going with all this. But uh, but yeah, that's like a kind of I think that's a turn for him. So it's something we have to think about in terms of how he's portrayed and and how we write him and stuff. Anyway, so- that's the cliffhanger before the third interstitial story. So once again, we'll sort of jump into one of these world expanding um, storylets and let you think about something else for a minute. Insert story here. Yeah. And then uh, come back and let's talk about um, uh, beat 15.
So in beat 15 is when we're going to get into the first of the three trials, which really sort of anchor the middle of our script here. That's right. Um, if it was a movie, you'd call this the second act, I guess. We're, we're at the, the beginning and, of the second act. And so, you know, Tim gave her this ultimatum, you know, you better figure something out. You know, you've got a month or whatever. So most of that month has gone by. And finally, um, you know, Zoya has said, okay, I figured something out and summons Tim to uh, the world called Immunologia, which uh, this is what we have previously referred to as Almanac World. Now, Almanac World, the purpose that it serves in the constellation is it's, you know, it's a bit like Wikipedia and a directory. You know, it's like it's a painstakingly uh, developed sort of archive of all of the many, many worlds in the constellation. If you want to know uh, what worlds exist, if you want to do research, if you want to find out where a particular world is, you would come here. So it's a really useful tool that's pretty important. Maybe not quite on the level of, say, Agoria, the money world, but it's pretty high up there in terms of importance. And something we maybe haven't mentioned is that Zoya's parents, part of the reason Zoya is sort of of a higher class uh, than Tim, is Zoya's right. parents are the creators uh, right. no, and the, I, we did mention this, and, yes. the, and the owners of of Emerologia, this world. Right. Um, and so Tim's probably been here, as many people have been here, but when he comes here now, he is able to enter these VIP areas that only Zoya can bring him into. Um, as the daughter of the owners, right? So it's like someone bringing you into, uh, you know, Google headquarters or something, or even just like, you know, taking you to Google's website and like showing you that, oh, like my Google account allows me to do something crazy, you know, that like your account doesn't allow you to do. Um, sure. Yeah, no, I mean, she has access to the VIP areas on this world and she can grant it temporarily to him. So... Um, we can see them doing something pretty cool in this world. And yeah, this world is like, um, in a way, it's the most like labor intensive of these public utility worlds that we've come up with. Because uh, as we've discussed, there's not an easy way to bring data around from world to world. Um, so they need to use humans uh, to sort of painstakingly uh you know, it's a compendium of all the knowledge about all the worlds that exist. Um, so it's this kind of like thing where people are always bringing information and looking up information. And uh, yeah, they're, they meet up there. She brings him in and she tells him that she's got, she's figured something out. It took her a little while, but she's figured something out. She can get him into the club, uh, but he's going to have to perform uh, uh, some challenges. Yeah, the first of the three challenges. Actually, we shouldn't even say that because Tim at this point doesn't know there's going to be three, right? So it'll just be, as far as Tim knows, this is the only challenge. So the challenge she gives him, his assignment, mm -hmm. is that he must find a novel uh, tourist world, and I'm saying tourist world to distinguish it from an art world, right? So something that's an interesting world uh, that you know, is aesthetically interesting or interesting culturally or some other way interesting, but it's not something that somebody crafted as an art piece. It's some, you know, world where people are legitimately, you know, built it for their own purposes or living there. Um, right. It's a world where people live. But I think something that's is the key kooky thing, about it. That you right? can visit. Right. Um, and it has to be so novel that the club Altaf, which dedicates its entire, 
you know, ideology to finding and exploring novel experiences. It has to be something that even that club doesn't know about, which is a pretty tall order as it turns right. out. Right, right. This club has a database of basically every world, and you need to find something that's not in their database that is not just a, you know, an, uh, you know some artistic world, because then he could easily spin something up that he himself created and just give them that. That's no good. You have to find something that's populated, that's got a culture of some kind, that's got people living there. Right, because there's, you know, millions of people in the constellation and they've all, you know, potentially built weird worlds. So there, a lot of stuff is out there. It's just finding it. And to show how difficult this is, you know, Tim may not realize how hard it is himself. He'll throw out a few. He'll be like, oh, that's easy. Like, what about, you know, this world, right? Right, because obviously Tim, being a connoisseur, knows some pretty obscure worlds and, like, prides himself on knowing them. But none of those worlds are nearly obscure enough to uh, to count. Yeah, Zoya will reject those out of hand. Um, right. And so we, we establish that this is going to be difficult. And so now Tim is sort of on his first quest here. And that right. takes us to the next beat. Right, so beat 16 is, like, the first beat of that quest he is struggling to find a novel tip and he fails. And we're thinking that uh, rather than taking place in one location, that this is a kind of a series of single panel shots. Each one's in a different weird world. Um, but maybe the conversation sort of carries over the way that happens sometimes in comics where it feels like it's like he's having the same conversation over and over again with all these different people, but we're reading it as one continuous conversation. Um, and he's, you know, basically going around talking to um, different people, trying to find uh, uh, a novel tip and also getting rejected by Zoya um, continuously as he suggests all of the uh, ideas that he finds. But at the end of this beat, Tim gets an idea. Uh, so either somebody else is talking to him who plants him a seed or something else but he basically hears somebody say something like, well, you know, if you can't find something new, maybe you just have to build it yourself. And he, 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 a light bulb goes off. He finds a strategy that works and that's going to take us into the next beat. Yeah. And beat 17 is him implementing this strategy that he just thought of, which is that obviously it would be breaking the rules uh, to just literally build it yourself, right? Because it has to be a tourist world, not an art world. But Tim right. finds a loophole, and what he does is he goes to Agoria, and Agoria, again, it serves many functions. In addition to where people store their money and sign contracts, um, partly because the money is there, it's also a great place to have a giant bazaar, right? A great a place well, to- we, we decided that was actually the, the source of it, right? That it was like a market first. Uh, we've gone back and forth on that, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought, but I that, 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 that certainly, that would make a lot of sense, right? Um, and, and I think you might've mentioned that earlier today. But yeah, I think, so- I mean, I guess that's where the name came from in my head anyway, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but anyway, whether it came first or second, there is like a market there that's like, you know, the Craigslist of the- constellation and he decides to go there yeah but it's but it's gonna look like a giant endless bazaar um of infinite space right and yeah. tim and you can you know anyone can really set up a booth there uh, like a tent you know to sell their whatever their services are out of and so tim's gonna set himself up there you know with some kind of advertisement basically saying you know i will make your strangest dreams come true you know i'm a skilled trained world creator i know how to build things um and I'll build whatever you want me to build. And not only that, I specialize in being discreet. 
that part's important because he's trying to attract someone who is building something uh, that that's not super public, right? Because the whole goal here is to find something obscure. Right. Um, and he's hoping by sort of setting out this bait, he's going to, f- and sort of offering to maybe do some work for free or very cheap, uh, he's going to lure in someone, some strange character who's going to ask him to build something weird, and that's going to be his way to find something that he couldn't have found any other way. Um, and that leads to a montage where he's interviewing various applicants who have dumb, strange ideas, you know, that they want him to build for him. Uh, I'm not going to go into all of those now. That'll be, you know, done in a pretty rapid fire montage form. Um, but right. it's just sh- like he's screening clients and it's like, you know, well, I want you to do this next. I want you to do that next, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. And he's screening clients. He's looking for that person who's going to uh, fulfill the, uh, the, the, the challenges, uh, requirements. And well, and, and eventually, you know, he hits on the person, right? Which is going to be a a person by the name of James Applewhite. This is where we're going to end the montage because this is, this is the potential client that he was looking for. Right. Um, So James Applewhite shows up and he's the head of some sort of closed off world. He's like a kind of cult leader, basically where the people inside the world that he runs they are so cloistered. They don't even really know about the larger constellation. Like they could have been Gen Zero people who never got much of a chance to explore the world. And uh, he 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 got them early. Yeah, let um, me let me paint that picture for a second, right? Because sure. seventy years ago, from when our story is being told, uh, if you were going about your business in in regular life in twenty twenty two or something, and all of a sudden you got zapped into this weird. Uh, simulated space where you're on a savanna and you're by yourself and there's a ai assistant that you maybe figure out how to talk to or not i mean you're just you're, your mind's going to be blown you're going to be sort of open maybe to somebody who shows up and has some answers and so someone enterprising like applewhite in those early days could you know find impressionable gullible people show up uh and basically say uh, if you're wondering what happened, um, I know the truth. And uh, actually, what you can do is you can come with me, sign this contract, go to go to my world, and uh, I, I, I've got a solution for your, all of your your troubles, and I can make things better for you, right? And and that might be quite attractive to people who don't know any better, who have maybe only been on their home world at this point. Um, and so, you know, he's found a bunch of these people, and then just if they sign that initial contract with him. There's no reason he had to ever let them out, you know? So they've maybe literally for the last 70 years been trapped on this world and they don't even know that the larger constellation exists. Right. They have no idea that other people have built all the crazy things that exist in the constellation. I mean, they obviously know that like they are in a simulation because that became clear before they signed away their rights. But they might have loved ones that they think are gone, but that are actually fine. Right. They might have no idea that those people are fine and are living on Magnurbia or something. And they've never experienced uh, being able to, you know, use the exec themselves because he basically stole their rights to that and trapped them on this world kind of fairly early. Um, And maybe the world allows reproduction. So maybe there's kids who've been raised on it or maybe not. We haven't decided that yet, but either way, um, Applewhite is the head of this sort of wretched cult that is, you know, maybe not miserable, but because, you know, he is a real god, uh, since he can really conjure things and stuff. Um, but they are not benefiting from all of the, 
information about how the simulation works that has now traveled all around, right? So we'll be able to show, I think, this will be a good place to dramatize some of the ways that the world really works for people like Zoya's parents and Ito's family and stuff like that. But if you don't know how it works, then you really can be quite trapped. Um, Yeah, these people are prisoners. I mean, they... Right, right. So they may not be always miserable, but they definitely are missing out on tremendous amounts of power and freedom compared to other people that we've seen. And how how miserable it is, I think, is, is open to, you know, our discretion somewhat. I mean... It could be pretty miserable, right? And in some pretty weird ways. But anyway, he wants Tim to build a new feature for the world. So we're thinking it's something like a big, big crazy temple or something like that. The weirdest thing we can think of. We gotta, we gotta work on that. But anyway, yeah, there's he wants a lot to, to, to develop. Like we don't have a lot of the specifics of like what this cult is about, right? But that's right. Like so what they specifically vague, believe you know? in stuff. You know, they worship flying dolphins or what. But yeah, we'll have to work that out. Um, well, he needs he needs Tim yeah. to build something, and he again the yeah. reason he's attracted to Tim's ad is because of the promise of being discreet, and this Applewhite's a strange character that doesn't want anybody to know what he's doing, and or the people in the world to know what's happening. And I think the the idea that I like is that he's you know because he's like a god slash prophet in his own world of his own creating to these people that he's got trapped there. Yeah. He's promised them something some palace, you know, et cetera, or temple that will arrive on some day and he's been procrastinating right. and he he's doesn't know how to build something. it himself because right, right, right. he's not good enough to build it. So he's going to look like a sham in front of all of his followers uh, right. if he doesn't, you know, produce. So Yeah, he- Applewhite's in a jam because he prophesied this thing, whatever it is, was going to show up on August 5th or the whatever The Sky it Temple is. will appear. And you then, know. Uh, you know, it's a month out and he was building it, you know, out back and it, and it kept collapsing because, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. So uh, he gets Tim to do it, uh, but Tim will be the only outsider to enter in a long time. And he, you know, he gets sworn to secrecy. So he's realizing this is perfect. This is exactly what I'm going to need for the club. I just have to like grin and bear it and like do this work for this guy. And then I'm going to be able uh, to use to use this for my purposes. Um, he he has to negotiate like some kind of a back door for himself. And I, I think we can do this in a way where it looks like he's just a good negotiator um, you know, the, the first offer is too restrictive, but Tim's like, no, I have to be able to, you know, we call it portal rights, like the ability to make doors, um, you know, in and out of the world. He, maybe he's bluffing that he doesn't actually need that to do the work, but he comes up with a good excuse why he needs it. Um, yeah, it's like someone's, you know, going to fix your computer for you and they're like, oh, I, yeah. I need to like have an admin account on your computer right. uh, in order to actually fix your computer and, and you don't know any better. You don't know anything about computers and you're like, okay, I guess that's fine. <laughs> you <know>? Right, right. <laughs> and especially since his, um, you know, what he actually wants to do is like sort of let someone peek in on your world without you knowing it. You know, there's no reason why you'd ever know that anything was amiss. So he basically does... Uh, manage to uh, uh, get the contract he wants. Uh, moving on to beat 19, which actually takes place not in Agoria where they were negotiating, but on the world that Jim Applewhite has created, which is called Apollonia, of course. He named it for himself. Um, 
Tim arrives and he witnesses the crazy world and he sees how miserable the people are. And we have to kind of give him a little moment and we haven't exactly figured this out yet, but the writer of this scene will figure this out where he has some kind of ability to help them or one of them at least, but he doesn't take it. He instead finishes the work and does what he said he would do because you know getting into the club is more important to him right. than helping this 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 miserable person i think the important thing is that he's doing his work and he witnesses like sort of how some kind uh, of exploitation or something yeah like I, and that's why i think maybe their lives do need to be a little bit wretched because it needs to be something at least that some we can, of them yeah that we can visually sell quickly like where like tim sees them and is like oh man these people are like really you know living an unfortunate life here and we know at this point of course that he's you know, negotiated godlike powers so he could help them, uh, but then he doesn't. Um, and I think we also key to this moment is we want to plant something that's going to be important much, much later in our story, right. um, which is that we want to see him hiding um, the rights to sort of enter the club later, or hiding something that represents the back door. It might even sort of be like a literal object that has the permissions instantiated in it. Um, the right. reason, of course, he needs the backdoor rights to get into the world, which I don't think we've spelled out yet, are that, you know, he has to be able to share it with the club, right, to fulfill the challenge that Zoya Right, well, him. if they can't get into the world, then, yeah, telling them it exists doesn't doesn't do much good. They have to verify that it actually is, you know, they have to be able to get in. So, right, so he has to be able to give them a ticket into the world somehow, a way to... Um, a way to get in. And yeah, maybe it's like a false, that's what he's built uh, you know, door inside of the temple, uh, right. like or some like tree that has like an opening in it when you like knock. Like, it's going to be some weird thing that we're going to see him planting uh, with a visual associated with it because later that's going to get used in the story. So I just want to highlight that. That's right. So he'll build that. And when he's done building that, we will jump into interstitial four. Uh, it's our fourth mini story. The next little mini story. Um, exactly what that one will be, we don't yet know. But I think we should pause it here for because uh, this is the halfway point, John. And I think uh, it makes sense for us to pick this up next time and finish it out on the next episode. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's good. We're 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 halfway through our story, so we'll call it here. I hope you enjoyed listening to this. We will get through the second half next episode and then onward and continuing i suspect like after the we finish this outline we might do the some of those interstitials right talk a little bit more about we might want to have an episode talking through those before we go to script yeah and then i think we should try to go to script as soon as we can because um i think that's going to be exciting to listen to and i think uh once we have a script draft we'll see that we have even more problems that we have to solve. Like, you know, that's one of the things that is like, you know, that's how this process works is that at each level of uh, Zoom, as you zoom into it, you know, uh, level by level, you you realize more problems and you come up with more solutions. Um, so that's the exciting part, but also the frustrating part. Um, anyway, thanks so much for sticking with us on this. We apologize for the long break Uh, But we are back at it now, and we are going to try to keep the uh, momentum up as we go through the rest of the year and hopefully uh, get this script written uh, while we are here on the air with you all. Um, As always, we love to hear from you. Let us know um, what you're thinking about, and we will uh, keep making 
more episodes like this uh, just as quickly as we can get them out. All right, so that does it for this latest episode of Constellation, and we'll see you next time for the second half of The Outline. Thanks for listening. This has been Constellation, Making the Graphic Novel. Our theme song is Pomona by Audios. To subscribe to this podcast, look us up on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher application. You can find us on Twitter or on the web at constellationpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.